Hey church, good morning. Uh, as Ben said, the 13th, some exciting news. We want you guys to be here for that, and we hope that you will be here for that. Uh, hey, we're so glad to have you guys here. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I was sitting down there a few moments ago and just singing, I thought to myself, gosh, we need a Sunday where the band just plays for the whole hour, right? Because they do so, I know, right? Let's, uh, I know they don't do this for recognition, and I know our AV team does not do this for recognition, but can we thank them for all the work that they do? We have such great, great teams here at the Christian Life Center. They're fine. There's some fine people, too, that we get to work with. Uh, if you ever want to learn more about that, you can, but we just want to acknowledge them and thank them for what they do. Uh, but as Ben said, my name's Christian. I'm on staff here at the Christian Life Center. I get the privilege to oversee some of the AV stuff, so when it, that goes wrong, it's usually my fault. Uh, and I also uh, get to oversee the high school students. When something goes wrong, it's not my fault in that situation. Uh, but I, I love what I do. I love getting to serve with the students. I know we got some sitting over here, and I know we got some in the balcony up there. Uh, but yeah, I've really enjoyed serving with them, uh, and I'm so glad to see some of them here today, because um, they usually have to listen to me talk a lot, so this is exciting stuff, guys. Um, we are, as Ben said, we're in week four of this series, Road Trip. And for this series, we've been following one of the most exceptional, underrated, profound trips in the history of the world. And I'm not talking about the Eagles' journey to the Super Bowl in 18. That was pretty cool. Uh, but for this series, we get to follow this journey of Jesus with his disciples to Jerusalem. This journey that was filled with teachings and miracles and Jesus ushering in the kingdom of heaven. We get to experience not just far off in the future, but today. And so we get to accompany them for this journey. And I'm really excited about today's passage. It's actually one of my favorite passages. We get to read the story of a man who made one small decision that altered his life. We read the story of this man who made one small decision and it changed everything. And it's interesting because if you look in the book of Luke, we have a lot of instances of people who were usually rejected by the church or rejected by society who make small decisions that change everything, right? There's, there's the lady in Luke 8 who just touches Jesus' cloak and is transformed, right? There's the gentleman in Luke 5 who's lowered through the roof of a house into the middle of Jesus' sermon, and he experiences transformation, right? And even the criminal on the cross next to Jesus has one small conversation right on, his, on, on the cross, on his deathbed, and it changes everything. And so today's story I'm really excited about. It's about a man who makes a small decision, and it changes everything. And I think this is really important for us, church, because we have an opportunity before us to consider what small decision in my life am I refusing to make that will change everything, Right? So uh, today's story is a story, I want to see if y'all know it, of a small statured man who climbs a sycamore fig tree. Does anyone know what story this is? Anyone? Zacchaeus, right. I, sorry, I do that with the students where I'm like quizzing them on the spot, but I won't do it to y'all anymore. It's the story of Zacchaeus. We got this tax collector who has curiosity and courage enough to make a small decision, and it changes everything. It changes his entire world. And a lot of us need a Zacchaeus moment. 
A lot of us have a decision before us that we can make that can change everything. And so my hope today, church, is as we dive into the scripture together, that we can identify what that is in our life, that we could have curiosity and courage enough to encounter Jesus and to be transformed by that encounter. Amen? So that's my hope today. So we're going to jump into the scripture. We're going to read through it and figure out what God might have us do in the wake of this passage. But before we jump in, I'm going to pray for us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're such a good God. You're such a good God, even when life is crazy and overwhelming and stressful. You're such a good God. Uh, we trekked here in the cold today, knowing that you're a good God, knowing that you are God that brings out peace and life and joy. And so God, we pray today that you would help us understand what obstacles are in our way from experiencing these things, God. Use this story of Zacchaeus to teach us what it means to encounter Jesus in a new way. God, we pray that you open our hearts for us to receive what you might have for us this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I'm just going to jump right in. If you're following along, we're going to be in Luke 19 today. You can use a Bible in a pew, or you can pull out your phone and use that if you would like. We're going to jump in. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Remember, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on a road trip here. So this is kind of like a pit stop that he is making, right? He's passing through Jericho. And there was a man... A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And so if you know anything about Jericho, you know that it is a very affluent area. They are thriving economically. They, they trade palm trees, palm honey, and dates. Like they have a, a great economic system set up. I used to live in, uh, in Tennessee, and when I drive through Nashville, you knew Nashville was thriving economically because everywhere you looked, there were cranes. They were just building all the place. And so Jericho is like Nashville without the country music, right? They are building. Herod is constructing palaces, right? And they are trading. They are doing very well economically, which makes it a great place for tax collectors, right? And so he is passing through Jericho, and this is the situation going on. And so there's a man who lived in Jericho, Zacchaeus, and he was a tax collector. But he's not just any tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. He worked his way up into the management position, right? And so if you know the context of that time, tax collectors were not very liked by society. In fact, I could go as far as to say as they were hated by a lot of people because this is what would happen. Rome had a very efficient system for collecting taxes. What they would do is they would sell taxes owed like a bid to people who wanted to buy them. And so if there's a debt that needs to be paid for taxes, people would buy them. And so Zacchaeus would have bought all of this debt and then he would go door to door with the permission and the blessing of Rome and the legal authority to demand that people pay their dues. But here's the problem. They would go to doors and demand way too much, right? This person, they would demand way more than this person owed. And so he would go ahead and pocket all of the extra cash that he made, right? They didn't have QuickBooks back then. They didn't have mints to track these things, keep people accountable. And so tax collectors would, were evil people who were hated because they would go around and rob people. And they had Rome's permission and blessing to do so. And so Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. 
he was really good at what he did. He was really good at taking people's money. But get this, he just wasn't just a chief tax collector, he was a, a Jewish tax collector. His name, Zacchaeus, comes from a Hebrew word meaning pure. And so if you understand the context of what's going on, you realize there's a problem here because what Zacchaeus would do is he would go to his Jewish brothers and sisters' houses and demand taxes that he would then give to Rome, and Rome would then use those taxes to oppress and keep Jews in subject to them. So you see the problem here. Zacchaeus was hated by Jews and Gentiles alike because of his practice. Because of this practice, because he gave this money to Rome, and Rome used it to oppress people. And so as a result, no one liked him. It's a safe bet to say that Zacchaeus did not have many friends. He was isolated, probably shunned, and ignored. And no lie, I wrote this in my notes as a joke. I was going to make a reference to Tom Brady, because Tom Brady's so good at what he does that no one likes him for it, right? But now everyone likes him because he might be retiring, right? So uh, I couldn't really, it didn't have the same effect. So that's what the situation is. He's passing through Jericho, and there's this man named Zacchaeus, disliked by everybody, right? The next verse, verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. This isn't a sycamore fig tree. I'm not a botanist, but I know this isn't a sycamore just a prop for today. Uh, so I don't want you to think that. But what's happening is Jesus is passing through Jericho. And a lot of people would have heard about this guy by now. This is the guy that just healed the blind man. Did you guys hear about that? This is the guy that raises people from the dead. He heals people's sickness. So everybody would have known about him, right? Um, and so this, the, uh, Zacchaeus has this interest to see him. I want to see what this guy looks like. I want to put a face to this story, right? And we're all like this, right? We're going to be honest here. Uh, you know, when we hear about someone and we're like, like, oh, I don't know if I've met them before. What do you do? You go to Facebook, the search bar, and you type in their name, right? I'll be honest. I've done that with some of you guys here today, right? I've gone to Facebook, and I've searched. I'm like, oh, that's who that person is, right? There's a curiosity about it, right? When we have a, a friend who is going on a date with someone, we're like, oh, show me a picture, right? Let me see them. There's just a natural curiosity that we all have. And so Zacchaeus in this moment is like, I've heard of this guy, and I want to see him. He's passing through my hometown, my place of work. I want to see this Jesus. And Zacchaeus, his interest would have been very peculiar because he would have wanted to see Jesus because Jesus, he's the guy that befriends tax collectors, right? This guy with no friends, right? He's the guy who befriends tax collectors. In fact, didn't he call a tax collector to be his disciple? This is the guy that heals and does all this stuff. So I need to see this guy that befriends tax collectors, that befriends people like me. And so Zacchaeus, a rich Jewish tax collector, tries to see this poor, homeless savior, but he can't do so because of his short stature. And what a terrible situation for Zacchaeus, right? He's probably got a lot of qualities that are decent about him, but the only one we know him for because of the Bible is like, oh, he's that short guy, right? Uh, what a sad situation, right? But he wants to see him, but he can't, ha he can't see him through the crowd. So he's got a couple options. One, he could just keep trying and like push through the crowd and you know crawl on the ground and work his way to Jesus. Or two, he could throw in the towel, give up, 
right? I've tried, I've not done that, but he doesn't do that because his curiosity and his courage are there. And so what does he do? He climbs a tree. <laughs> he climbs a tree, right? And a lot of us would think, oh, that makes sense. Like, that's a really good solution, right? If you go to a parade, you see people are up in the trees looking over the parade, right? In Philly, they even climb the light poles, right? Uh, so it's normal for us, but in this context, it would have been so inappropriate for him to do that. For a man of high ranking, because it says he ran ahead, strike one, you're not supposed to run if you are a man of high ranking. That was inappropriate. It was against the etiquette of the time, so he ran. And then the second thing is he climbed a tree, which was also very inappropriate for people to do. But such expectations and social cues were rendered not important if only Zacchaeus could catch a glimpse of Jesus, right? He was willing to endure more shame and embarrassment if he could encounter Jesus. And so the author writes, he climbed a sycamore fig tree, which looks nothing like this. A sycamore fig tree is probably 30 to 40 feet tall. The branches are really low, but they're really big as well, so a, a grown man could climb them and just sit on them and observe. And so this is the tree that he climbed. So the short, hated, rich Jewish tax collector defies etiquette to the jeers of many in the crowd to see this poor, homeless Jesus. The passage continues in verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down once and welcomed him gladly. I remember when I was younger, uh, I lived right on Louisville Road right here, and we got some pine trees on our property. And uh, my brother and I would, had a great habit of just climbing those pine trees, right? We'd scale them to the top. And one day my brother was killing it, right? He was like, at the, you couldn't go any higher on the tree. He was at the very top, and I was like, yeah, let's go. He's at the top of this tree, and then my mom comes outside. <laughs> It was, it was very bad news. So my mom comes outside, and, you know, I start to preoccupy myself, like maybe raking or sweeping, which I never do naturally. She's like, what's going on? I'm like, nothing. All right, we're good, right? Nothing's going on. And then, uh, of course, you look at the top of the tree, and you see my brother can't go any higher. And the imagination of a 10-year-old is so unique because he was, like, trying to hide behind one flimsy branch. And in his mind, he's like, I'm totally concealed, right? No one can see me. But my mom looked up and said, come down immediately. And this was not an invitation to, hey, Eddie, come in for dinner. No, she was mad. Come down immediately. That's not what's happening in this passage here. Jesus knows Zacchaeus by name without having met him before, right? And he calls up to him as if he's talking to a close friend. And he invites Zacchaeus to come down. Zacchaeus, man! What are you doing? How are you doing? Come down here. I want to go to your house tonight, right? This would have been a really nice invitation. Zacchaeus would have known that it was his honor to do this. And it was probably a rarity for Zacchaeus. Remember, he's hated by everybody. It was probably a rarity for someone to speak in a tone of kindness and gentleness to this tax collector. But that's what we find Jesus does right in this moment when he invites him down and says, I want to stay at your house, right? 
Now, some of y'all might think, how, how rude, right? Like, you don't just invite yourself over to places. I remember when I was in first grade, I was hanging out. It was me and my mom, my friend Chris and his mom, and I was just all hanging out together. I was like, Mom, can we stay at Chris's house? They're rich. <laughs> and, and I would want to hang out with them. It was inappropriate. My mom was like, what are you doing? It was inappropriate for me to just say that in that moment, right? So we might think, oh, is it kind of weird that Jesus is inviting himself over? But in this context, that would actually have been a great honor because kings didn't wait for an invitation. They would invite themselves into the hospitality of their guests. And Zacchaeus knows this, and he would have been honored. And it's really interesting that Jesus picked Zacchaeus. Of all people, right? He's surrounded by a crowd of people, but he picks Zacchaeus, because Jericho is overflowing with priests. Jericho is overflowing with religious people. But instead, Jesus picks the guy that nobody picks, right? Say, I want to go to your house. And so Zacchaeus, the rich, short Jewish tax collector who's robbed countless of clients, countless clients, hears his gentle and warm and public invitation to dine with this Jesus. And the passage says he experienced gladness, which comes from the Greek word chiron, uh, which is the same word. It's very similar to the word grace, kairis. So he experiences the grace of God, this invitation of God, kairis, which results in his gladness, chiron. This is a big moment for a guy who was never invited anywhere, a guy who didn't have any friends, right? And so remember, this is an opportunity that he would have missed had he not climbed the tree. He would not have had this opportunity had he not climbed the tree, right? And so we gotta remember, this this whole instance is unfolding publicly. So everybody would see this. Everybody would see Zacchaeus in the tree, and then everybody would see Jesus' response to Zacchaeus in the tree. And so you can imagine that some of them probably weren't very happy, right? Some of them probably weren't happy that of all the people that could get an invitation, it would be Zacchaeus, of all people, right? And verse 7 kind of highlights how they respond in verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He is going to be the guest of a sinner, right? Y'all, we do this too sometimes, right? Let's be honest. We're good at identifying people for their sin without understanding our own mess ups, right? Like, look at their sin. Look at their brokenness. Really good at identifying people for their faults without understanding our own. It's kind of like this better than thou complex. And let me be honest, and I don't mean to take any shots, but I think the church, we've done well in this area in the past. We're so good at highlighting other people's brokenness that we fail to recognize how broken we are. For me, it's when I'm driving, y'all. <laughs> uh, I'll drive. I have a, 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 an aggression problem when I'm driving for some reason. I used to have the CLC magnet on the back of my car, and then it flew off, and I never replaced it <laughs> because I didn't want people to look at that and then see my drive and be like, ooh, right? Because what would happen is I'd get so mad that someone cuts me off that then I start to drive more poorly than they did. And so I'm all angry at them. You screwed up. You messed up without seeing my own atrociousness, without recognizing that my driving got far worse than theirs did in that moment. So if you see me with a sticker back on that car, it means I'm, the Lord's doing a work in me, right? But I get so mad. 
But in all seriousness, we're all guilty of doing this all the time, right? Like, we kind of identify, like, yeah, I'm a sinner. Like, yeah, I'm broken. But, but do, you, do you realize what they've done, right? Do you know what they posted online? Do you know about their addiction, right? Do you know how they voted? Do you know what they did to me? So, Jesus, why would you hang out with them? Why would you invite yourself into their house? And for some of us, right, when we do this, it's really personal, right? These people who are saying this in this context, they were the very people that Zacchaeus wronged. Some of these people can't pay their bills because of what Zacchaeus did. And so they say to Jesus, Jesus, if you knew what Zacchaeus did to me, if you knew how he treated me, dare invite yourself over so out of our own pain and frustration we miss out on two things and I'm guilty of this out of our own pain and frustration sometimes I forget how broken and messed up I am right and then I forget how incredible far-reaching the grace of God is to fix a broken heart, right? I forget how messed up how in need of grace I am I forget that and then I also forget that maybe God can do a work in other people. That maybe God's grace is profound enough that it could transform even the most vile of hearts, including Zacchaeus. So my hope is that we don't forget those two things, right? Especially that we don't forget a God who can show reckless and abundant compassion to all, even broken and messy people like us. So we, like the people, get mad, <laughs> We start to wield the weapons of crucifixion and condemnation, right? Um, but Jesus wields different weapons, wields different tools. And his are compassion and grace. And he's exercising that right here in this moment, right? He's exercising compassion and grace where other people wouldn't to this tax collector who's done so much wrong, right? And it is the, this very encounter that leads to a transformation in Zacchaeus in verse 8. And as we're in verse 8, it is kind of understood some scholars believe that they're no longer maybe on the street, but maybe they're actually at Zacchaeus's uh, house at this point, but they're still onlookers and still guests who can kind of see this interaction, people who are curious. So verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And so Zacchaeus had experienced in this interaction, sharing the presence with Jesus, this transformation of the heart which produces him to do these things, right? He could have never experienced compassion or grace before. This could be the first time that he's experienced these things. And to come from Jesus would have been a big deal. And so in the wake of experiencing this kindness and compassion, he's like, look here. I give up. I give in. I will not do this any longer, right? And so he no longer has a desire to have possessions or wealth. He doesn't worship money any longer, but he decides to give it away. In fact, it says he gives away his possessions. So this would not just be half of his salary, but it would probably be half of everything that he has, his income and his possessions. He's like, look, I will give it away, right? I will give it away right now. I'm not going to wait, but I'm going to do it right now, right? He no longer has a desire to take, but a commitment to give. 
In fact, he's like promising this moment, like, I'm gonna pay people back. And it kind of looks like a cop-out confession, right, that if I have cheated anybody out of anything, like, it kind of sounds like a cop-out. But the Greek actually helps us understand it even better. Uh, it's better understood as wherever I have cheated anybody. Because so I, kn- I know I've cheated people. I've cheated a lot of people. Wherever I've done that, I promise to pay them back. If you ever gotten a ticket before, which uh, y'all know I have road rage, so I've gotten a ticket once. Uh, <laughs> uh, when you pay that ticket, it's an admission of guilt, right? It's understood when you're paying that ticket, you're admitting, I've done wrong, here's the restitution, right? And so in this moment, Zacchaeus is in the ticket, saying, I know I've done wrong, I'll pay it back. And it's interesting because he's going to pay four times the amount. Per Levitical law, if you look in Leviticus, if you've taken money from someone, you only have to add an additional 20%. So if Zacchaeus took 100 bucks from someone, he would then owe them $120. But get this, he is so not attached to his money anymore that he can say, I'm going to pay back four times the amount. Because this does not mean anything in wake of this encounter with Jesus, right? And so he pays people back four times the amount which is incredible, right? He doesn't have to do this, but he's taking it upon himself to bring healing, to pay so much back. So imagine for a moment, Zacchaeus stole 100 bucks from you, right? There's people on looking, they're watching, they're like, yeah, Zacchaeus, you stole from me. But imagine watching Zacchaeus in this moment to see him say this. And he says right now, so we can imagine that maybe he's going through his house and he's getting the money bags together, right? Say, I stole 100 bucks from you, but here's $400. I'm sorry right? He's had this profound encounter which has changed everything. This kind of generosity and repentance underscores a life and a heart that has been radically transformed by an encounter with Jesus. The actions of Zacchaeus in this moment are evidence of a genuine conversion, a changed heart. Zacchaeus isn't looking to be justified by his works, right? Like the Pharisees often do. He's not doing this to earn God's love, but he's doing it because he's tasted and experienced the love of God. He can't help but do these things in wake of this encounter encounter with Jesus. It's a natural byproduct of a changed heart that he lives differently. It is a natural outcome of his having an encounter with Jesus. And so we might label him Christian. I want to pause real quick for a side note. I don't do these often, so we're going to pause the sermon real quick. It's interesting if you think of the, uh, the origin of this word Christian, because originally uh, it was a term that people didn't take upon themselves. It was a term that was given to people because it started as an insult. People would see these people living differently and be like, you're a Christian. It was a derogatory term that meant little Christ. And people would earn that insult if their life started to reflect the life of Christ. This, however, contrasts how we use the term today, right? Today, instead of people giving the label to us in accordance with how we live, it is a label that we kind of tick upon ourselves, right? I have this set of beliefs, so I am a Christian, But what if, what if we could make it so we go back in time? What if our lives could reflect the compassion and the grace and the love of God in such a way that people look at us and they say, something's different about you. You must be a Christian. 
that people can see Christ in us so much so that they start to label us in that way. Because you see, our encounters with Jesus, like Zacchaeus, should be slowly transforming us into his likeness. So when people look at us, they should say, something's different about those people at the Christian Life Center. Something is different about them. The way they handle conflict is different. The way they engage their neighbor, I've not seen it before. The way they handle their finances, they're not so concerned like I am, right? The way they love their enemies the way they engage in political discourse right and the way they think of others first something is different about them so out of curiosity and courage Zacchaeus climbs this tree and he has an encounter with Jesus that changes him and people can't help but notice a difference as a result of this transformation this is what Jesus says in verse 9 Jesus said to him, and of course, everybody listening, today, today, salvation has come to this house because, of, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. If you're reading this and you understand the context of Luke, this is a big moment because do you guys remember what happened in chapter 18? When, when Jesus said, it is almost impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because they worship their money so much they think their money can save them. And so for that reason, it is impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, for a rich man to journey with God. The, the image that we get is like trying to fit a camel through the eye of a needle. It is impossible. What do we have right here? Jesus is doing the impossible. We see a rich man that encountered Jesus and it transformed him. And so he says, salvation has come to this house. This is Zacchaeus we're talking about, guys. He robbed people. He was a crook and a thief. And salvation's here, right? Salvation came to his house because why? He's a son of Abraham. And this is, less, this is not necessarily a comment of his Jewish lineage, but rather... It is a comment about how his faith has transformed him. His faith has influenced and impacted his actions. The same kind of faith we see when Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac, right? It's the same kind of faith in this moment. So he's the son of Abraham and salvation is here. And so then this moment wraps up when Jesus says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This should bring to mind a lot of those parables that we've encountered in the book of Luke, right? The parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the prodigal son, where Jesus, he's here for the Zacchaeuses of the world. He's here for the Christians of the world. He's here for the broken and the messy people of the world. He's here to keep company with the worst of sinners, to bring about transformation, right? This is good news, right, for Zacchaeus? For me, for us, this is incredible news that Jesus is offering us the same gift, the same invitation, right? And so I want to wrap this up with an observation and an invitation. I think it's really good when we wrestle with Scripture to identify where do I fall in this story, okay? Because I think a lot of times, a lot of Scripture can teach us a lot about ourselves. 
It can teach us about the world around us, and it teaches us about who God is. And so let's identify who we are in the story. And as I read through this, I walked away with this observation that there's two kinds of people that we see in the book of Luke. Two kinds of people that we see in the book of Luke that live very differently, and I think we see them both represented pretty well in this story. And the first one are people who use trees as a tool to condemn and crucify, to extinguish God, right? We see this at the cross, where they take a tree, and they put Jesus on it, and they crucify him, to condemn him. We see the same character in this story here with the crowd that's murmuring, he's a sinner, He's a sinner. This should not be happening. He does not deserve this, right? We see this live out in this story, and we could be guilty of this, guys. I know I'm guilty of this, where it's easier to condemn and crucify in order to avoid my own brokenness, right? But may this not be us. May we instead be like the tax collector, right? The second type of person, which is who Zacchaeus is, People who use trees as a tool to climb and to confess, to encounter God, right? He climbed this tree because he had curiosity and courage enough to encounter, to see Jesus. Instead of the church being a place where we wield the tree as a weapon, maybe we just need to look at our own lives and say, how do I need to encounter Jesus? And what do I need to confess? What brokenness in me do I need restored? This is a people who will bypass barriers and comfort and easy solutions to encounter God, right? Because remember, climbing the tree and running was very inappropriate for him. That would have added a lot of insult and injury to his already being disliked. And so can we be a people that climb trees, that put comfort and easy solutions aside in order to encounter Jesus? Can we be a people more prone to humbly confess our faults before we start hollering out the faults of our neighbor, right? Can we be a people longing to experience a transforming encounter with Jesus? We see these people represented in this story, and my prayer is that we can follow the, the faith example of this tax collector. We have something to learn from this guy. He is the chief of sinners, this chief tax collector, right? I'm going to finish with an invitation. I actually want to invite the band up at this time. Um, I would love for us, trying to imagine what it looks like for us to be a church that climbs trees. In other words, a church that puts away, casts aside our comforts and our cares for an encounter with Jesus, with the expectation that we might be transformed, right? With big hopes and big dreams. I want us to be a church with big hopes and big dreams that God can do so much more than we can comprehend, right? So I want us to be a church of people whose very lives cause other people to scratch their heads and say, something is different about those people at the Christian Life Center. Just something is different about them. I would love to see the church climb trees, but let me be honest. I think we get really good at studying the tree We get good about praying about climbing the tree. We even get good about going to our small group session. We all talk about what it would be like to climb the tree. We even go to church and listen to sermons about climbing trees, but we do everything short of actually climbing the tree, right? 
So my prayer, my challenge is that we would be a church that climbs trees, that we fight for encounters with Jesus that can transform us, right? And so maybe, what does it look like to climb a tree? I think you know what it looks like for your own life, but it could be welcoming the stranger, those that might make you uncomfortable, right? It could be asking that person to accompany you to church. It could be to befriend the poor and the vulnerable, not just to serve them, but be friends with them, do life with them, right? Pray with your colleague or a family member. Join a community group or a small group where you can practice vulnerability and accountability. We can serve, even if it's not totally fulfilling, right? Many of us, we push around the crowd, maybe we've thrown in the towel. But a lot of us are just one tree away from a transforming encounter with Christ. A lot of us are one small decision away from a beautiful encounter with the loving Father. Because we see an evil, rich, short tax collector climb the tree, and it changed everything. Are we going to climb that tree? We're going to close with a song. Uh, it's called Belong to You. I love this song. It reminds us that we have a heavenly Father who wants to invite himself into our lives to call us down from the tree that we've climbed to encounter him, to spend time with us, to share space with us. And I think we need to slow down enough to recognize that we are broken, yet God is inviting us in, so may we then respond to that invitation to encounter Jesus. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are a good God that invites us in. You know the depths of our heart, and you love us the exact same. We're so prone, God, to ignore our own faults and our shortcomings and call it out in other people, but God, I think you want us to come to terms with our own brokenness, but also your faithfulness and your graciousness. And so God, we pray that as we sing this song, we would slow down enough to encounter our own brokenness, but also to encounter your incredible grace. God, may we lean in, and may we not just talk about climbing this tree, but God, may you invite us to climb these barriers that prevent us from encountering you so that we might experience life transformation in you. God, we love you so much. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Because can us.
I know sometimes climbing trees can be scary things, right? If you're like me, sometimes you get nervous. The branch will break. Like, what if this happens? Things that I'm sure went through Zacchaeus' mind. But my prayer is that we would look on the other side of this experience, that we would trust that this small act of faith will yield an incredible encounter with Jesus. I'm sure Zacchaeus was presented the opportunity again. He'd climb hundreds of more trees for what was waiting on the other side. So my prayer for us as a church is that we climb trees this year, that we fight for these incredible encounters with Jesus. Amen? Amen. We love you guys. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. So